Welcome to the Colon Cancer Podcast, stories of struggle, hope, and survival in the face of colorectal cancer. I'm Lee Silverstein. Welcome to episode 13 of the Colon Cancer Podcast. Before I get to this week's guests, I wanted to share some information regarding events that are taking place this coming week in the colon cancer community that might be of interest to you. First, the Colon Cancer Alliance is hosting an important webinar this Wednesday, May the 20th at 7 p.m. The topic is dehydration, causes, impact on your treatment, and what you can do. You can register for this webinar by visiting the Colon Cancer Alliance website at www.ccalliance.org and clicking on events, or I will also have the link posted at the bottom of the show notes page on the coloncancerpodcast.com website under episode 13. Also, for our friends that are in the Chicago area, this coming Saturday, May the 23rd, is the annual Undie 5K run and one mile walk. I will tell you if you've never been a part of an Undie run or walk, I really encourage you to go out. It's a lot of fun. I was honored to co-chair the Tampa Undie this past February and it was just a great event. And even if you don't choose to run or walk, just to come out and show support for the people that are, you'll meet some wonderful people. You'll have a lot of fun. If you're around the Chicago area and have time Saturday morning, do register, do come on out and visit those folks. I'll also post the link to that event also at the bottom of the show notes for episode 13 on the coloncancerpodcast.com website. My guest this week is Michael Sapienza. Michael is the president and founder of Chris for Life. Chris for Life is a nonprofit organization founded to commemorate the memory of Michael's mother, Chris, was taken by colon cancer at the young age of 59. The mission of Chris for Life, as stated on their website, is to find a cure for colon cancer by funding and facilitating cutting-edge research programs across the nation, to improve the lives of patients diagnosed with colon cancer by funding and developing programs to support patients and their caregivers, and to increase awareness of the life-saving importance of early screening for colon cancer by using innovative strategies. Join me now for my conversation with Michael Sapienza. Michael, thank you so much for making the time to join us today. How are you? I'm good. So you are the president and founder of Chris for Life. And for our listeners who may not have a pen and paper handy, I will list the link on our website. But it is Chris, the number four, life, C-H-R-I-S, the number four, life.org. Tell me about uh, the origins of Chris for Life and the story behind uh, its beginnings. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, so Chris for Life was uh, founded in memory of my mom, Chris Sapienza, who did unfortunately pass away from colon cancer uh, the day after Mother's Day in 2009. So um, we are actually uh, tape- taping this on the day before Mother's Day. So um, tomorrow will be the fifth fifth year that I uh, I've I've been around without without my mom on Mother's Day. So it is it is a hard time of hard time of year. But you know I've decided this year that I'm going to be celebrating her and celebrating you know what has become in terms of helping people with colon cancer, whether it's raising money for research or you know helping patients or just raising awareness in general. That's great. How old was your mother when she passed? 
My mom was 59, so she was diagnosed when she was 56. Um, she had stage 3C colon cancer. She had actually never gone in for a colonoscopy, so she passed about two and a half years later. I'm sorry to hear that. And I've talked to so many people, Michael, particularly younger and younger people who've been diagnosed with this disease. Uh, what are your thoughts on what we can do and if there's anything specific Chris for Life is doing to kind of erase that perception that colon cancer is an old man's disease? Yeah, absolutely. So, so just to give your listeners a little bit of a background, and you know, some of some of them may already know, but over the last thirty years, we've actually had, um, well, actually over the last ten years, we've actually had about a thirty percent decrease in the incidence of colorectal cancer in those over the age of fifty. But we've actually seen each year about a two to three percent increase in those under fifty. And a large percentage of those are actually rectal cancer patients. Um, so, you know, and we don't, we don't know why. We do know, unfortunately, that younger patients are diagnosed at later stage and unfortunately aren't responding to treatment as well of their, as well as their counterparts that are over, over the age of 50. So, you know, I think it's the job of organizations like Christopher Life, Colon Cancer Alliance, and other organizations that are out there to do exactly what you said, which is this is not an old white man's disease. It is unfortunately still the second leading cause of cancer-related deaths for both men and women. And so it's not just white men. It is white women, black women, everybody in between. And I think especially for young people, I think it's it has to start with social media coming up with some clever clever ways in which we talk about this. So for example, we have, Chris for Life has the Love Your Butt campaign. So it's not just for people that have been diagnosed with colorectal cancer or colon cancer, but it's for those that are just lay people that may be able to talk to their parents about it or talk to their doctor about it. So if, God forbid, one of my friends or your friends were diagnosed, you know, under the age of 50 and they went into the doctor, they weren't, they won't be told to go home and you know, take some Metamucil or come back in six months uh, if the bleeding continues, that they'll actually maybe consider that this actually could be a case of colon cancer. I understand. One of the things that I keep hearing, and, and I've experienced this myself as a stage four survivor, is the word embarrassment. It's, it's bathroom issues. We don't like to talk about it. How do we overcome that? How do we get past that? We talk about it. You know, I think it's it's as simple as that. So one of the things that I know as part of my family at Thanksgiving, you know, we never used to talk about breast cancer. You know, when I was growing up, it was not something we were talking about. But I remember before my mom di got diagnosed, probably when I was in, you know, the beginning of college, we started talking about it. And we started saying, oh, yeah, so mom, have you had your mammogram? Have you gotten your breast check? You know, and I think we have to get over that stigma um, of, you know, not talking about what is happening with, you know, bodily functions, whether it is going to the bathroom, whether it's poop, whether it's your rectum, whether whatever, whatever it is, you know, and I think to be honest, we're getting to a place um, where we're, as Americans, we're more comfortable talking about it. Um, and I think it's just, you know, having leaders and having organizations, again, like Chris for Life and Colon Cancer Alliance and Colon Town and all these groups where people, you know, are being diagnosed with the disease and, you know, they're sick and tired 
of you know not having the support resources and not having the research dollars and not having the awareness and so you know it's creating that community of people that can then go out into the world and you know not be afraid to talk about it. on your website michael under your mission the first thing that's listed is uh, the commitment to funding and facilitating cutting edge research and you just thought you just mentioned research what's going on out in the world of research that you're familiar with that you're particularly excited about so right now lee we have about 1.2 million americans living with colorectal cancer today um, and so we need faster treatments we need better treatments we need a way to make this not just a curable disease, but for those that maybe are diagnosed with stage four to make this a chronic disease for a much longer period of time. So I would say in terms of the advances that are happening right now, the biggest thing is what, what, I, what I would call personalized or precision medicine. So what it does is it takes a piece of your tumor and they look at a bunch of things. Um, you know, they look at a bunch of things. They look at the DNA sequencing of the tumor. They look for different types of mutation in the tumor. They look for different types of proteins in the tumor. And now they're actually doing some, some other exciting things as well, which is then taking that tumor, testing it or growing it in the laboratory, either by itself, in mice, and even in fruit flies, and then throwing a bunch of different cocktails based on that testing that precision testing that I just talked about, and seeing what happens to those tumors. That is really the future of colorectal cancer, not just colorectal cancer research, but actually a lot of different types of research. So, you know, if we can get to a point where it's, it's not like we're carpet bombing all of the patients with just a guess of what's going to work, but really determining what type of tumor they have, what it looks like under a microscope, and even, even more detail, what is the actual DNA of it? What are the, muta the specific mutations beyond the ones we already know? And then target via drugs that we've created um, to be able to treat those cancers. And talk about some of the uh, fundraising efforts that CRISPR Life does to support this kind of research. Absolutely. So we do, a, we do a bunch of different things, but we have about probably 40 to 50 events per year across the United States, ranging from a large gala in Washington, D.C. to a run-walk series called the Scope It Out 5K to um, individual families and, and friends who really care about the disease. There's a young lady actually who lives up in New York, uh, Julie Yip Williams, who is a 38-year-old stage four patient with two young children. And you know, it's her mission to raise a million dollars for research. So last year she came to me and she said, Michael, I want to raise a million dollars. And to be honest, last year she raised 200,000. So she's actually pretty, uh, doing, doing pretty well on, on her way of doing this. And so she created the Julia Williams and Joshua R. Williams Research Fund there in New York. So we're doing a lot of different, um, different events across the country. Fantastic. You talk about, you know, bringing people together and looking at events. You mentioned breast cancer conversations over Thanksgiving dinner. And, and certainly uh, th this isn't a competition, meaning that uh, breast cancer certainly has a number of years jump on many of the common cancers out there as far as public awareness and public national support on a grand scale. Uh, do you envision the day that we'll turn on the TV to a hockey game, a football game, a baseball game, and see during the month of March 
players dressed in blue, wearing blue socks, gloves, bats, like they do pink? Yeah, absolutely I do, Lee. And I think we'll do it smarter than they did in breast cancer even. And not to, not to disparage, like you said, or compare, but I think the, the amazing thing about colorectal cancer is that the majority of cases, the majority of cases, not all of them, because we know there's unfortunately a lot of people that even if they had gotten screened, they may be diagnosed, but the majority of cases are preventable. And so the, the thing that we need to do is we need to grow this community to a size where we have the impact that we can go to the NFL or to the NBA and say, you know what? You've wore pink long enough in October. You should be wearing blue in March and perhaps in some other months during the year. And I have no doubt, and I think it's the vision of myself and a bunch of other leaders in this in this field, that, that within two, three, four years, you'll definitely be seeing that. I hope so. I hope so. And like you said, it's not a competition, but those of us affected by the disease – when we see pink everywhere, we, there's just that longing because of the fact that it is curable if caught early. That you know to get that awareness out there. So yeah, the 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 one other thing I was going to say about the whole competition thing is that you know colon cancer is the second leading cause of cancer-related deaths. And you look at the amount of research that breast cancer gets from the NIH or from the Department of Defense or from other organizations. It is sometimes, depending on what place you're talking about, three to four times as much as colorectal cancer. So I would say, yes, it's not a competition because a lot of my friends have had breast cancer, and I certainly want them to have the same care. But my job is to increase colorectal cancer screening, increase colorectal cancer research dollars, and we're way behind in that amount. And I think, you know, even though it's not a competition, we need to make sure that people understand that more people are dying in this country from colon cancer than breast cancer. So we need to at least be on an even playing field, uh, even playing field in terms of dollars. You know, you shared the story about your mother and the fact that Mother's Day is coming up at the time of this recording tomorrow. If I can ask you a somewhat personal question, what would mom say about, what would mom say about the work that you've been doing to honor her memory? That's a good question, Lee. You know, <laughs> I think my mom was a is was a very strong, tenacious, but very quiet person. And I think if she knew that there was a foundation, first of all, she would be extraordinarily happy to know that her memory was still alive and that it was helping people that had this disease. But I also think she'd be hiding under the table a little bit because she wouldn't <laughs> want her name out there all over, <laughs> all over the place. But, but she'd be I, a little embarrassed. Yeah, I think she'd be a little bit embarrassed. But I think that at the same time, she is so incredibly happy that we're able to help thousands and thousands of people. And that, you know, I think for throughout her entire life, one of the things that she did was she gave and she gave and she gave of herself. And I think ultimately, the giving of herself was one of the reasons why she probably didn't go get a colonoscopy. And so it's a bit ironic that, um, you know, she unfortunately passed this from this disease. And I say that all the time about screening for her is that if she would have gone when she was 50, she would probably be with us today. Besides her, tell me, you come in contact with so many people. Share with us a recent inspiring story that comes to mind. So we're actually in the process right now of filming for a clinical trial database um, video that we're doing as one of our research projects. And I think this was, this was Thursday morning. Um, we had four, four uh, patients come in 
um, well, actually three patients and a caregiver come in for, for the, you know, the filming and our camera crews were like, went way overboard. They had this drone with like, with a camera and all this stuff. And here you have, um, a woman, she's probably in her, she's about 60, um, stage four, uh, late stage four, um, a young woman, uh, 33, a caregiver, her husband, uh, Rich did pass away last year from stage four colon cancer, left two young children behind. A young woman, probably about 52, late stage four colon cancer. And then um, an older gentleman, probably about 65, um, who also had colon cancer. And they talked about their journeys and they talked about how they where they want their next milestone to be. So what are they trying to get to? You know, one of them was, you know, they want to see their daughter graduate. One was, you know, I just want to remember my husband. One was, you know, I want to see my daughter in, in her play in a month. And the most amazing thing to me about this entire filming was that each and every one of them said that they would participate in a clinical trial basically being, not say, be, say being a guinea pig, but potentially something that may not help them to help those that come after them. So talking about paying it forward for other people that might be coming down the pike with this disease. And I just found that unbelievably amazing knowing what they've gone through, what they've seen, what, you know, their children may have to go through. And it was just incredibly inspiring. That is. Wow. The next place I wanted to go with you, Michael, is when a patient receives a diagnosis from their doctor and has some sort of a unsettled feeling with what they're being told, how do we encourage people to do a better job of, of being their own advocate and asking more questions and seeking second opinions and those kinds of things? Yeah. So, so I think, in terms of newly diagnosed patients or even patients that have had a recurrence, I found that there are sometimes patients that want to get involved and want to be actively on forums like Colon Town or like the Colon Cancer Alliance group. Um, and then I've seen a lot of patients that want to run away and want to hide. And, you know, I don't think either one of them is right. I don't think either one of them is, is wrong. But I do think we as a community have to do a better job of helping both of those people um, in learning and knowing about the resources that are available to them. So, you know, we have about 150,000 people in the, in the United States that will be diagnosed this year with this disease. And between probably the top two forums in, in the country, we have about 10,000 people. So you think about all those other people that may not be getting the resources that they could or may not be become the advocates they could on behalf of themselves or their friends. And I really take that, that job seriously. And some of the things that I think we can do, number one, is make it easier for people to have access to this information. So more and more people are using the Internet for information or using their mobile devices for information. More and more people don't want to travel far for maybe an in-person support group. More and more people are utilizing, 
you know, friends and family for that type of information. So how do we give their friends and caregivers that type of information? So those are really, in my opinion, the three things that we could do better in terms of trying to, to reach, reach more patients. For the individual that may not be comfortable with the diagnosis that they re- that they receive from their doctor out- outside of seeking out this information how do we encourage people to become more vocal i guess is what I, where i'm where i'm going to 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 ask more questions to be more comfortable in seeking out a second third sometimes even fourth opinion lee the way that i have found my my myself to do that is to be personal so a lot of the time it's maybe not just about getting a second opinion or being their own advocate or, in my case, sometimes for advocating for people to get screened. What I often ask, if you can tell they may have given up or they're just kind of like, meh, you know, like pretending they don't care, um, I, make it, I make it emotional. I make it personal. And I talk about my mom or I try on some level to... Uh, uh, what's what's con- connect with them? So if they have kids, you know, do you have children? You know, we I, I'm sure your children would love to see you around. You know, my mom unfortunately is not here, and so I do think for me personally, that's a way to do it. I don't know, and this is a very good question on how we do that with the entire community. How do we make that scalable for people across the country and then eventually across the world to be able to convince them to be better advocates? And I think the answer partially is exactly what I said on the local level, which is to inspire them, to bring it down to the level, to make it emotional, to make it something about them. That's good advice. As we wrap up, Michael, one of the things that I I ask everybody that I speak to is I like to think that someone perhaps is listening to this podcast for the first time and that they themselves or someone they care deeply about has recently uh, been diagnosed with colorectal cancer. What words of advice for you do you have for that individual? I'll tell a little story. When my when my mom called me, I remember the day. It was October twenty fourth, two thousand and six, and her and my dad called me, and they said, "Michael, we have a little bump in the road." And I, Lee, I could tell immediately by my mom's voice that there was something wrong. I could always tell because I was very close to her. And she, she, you know, in her calm way, explained to me that she had been diagnosed with what she thought at that point was late stage cancer. She's like, I know it's, you know, it's going to be bad, but, but this is just a bump in the road, Michael. It's just a bump in the road. And I have to say that I learned a ton from my mom going through what she did and the best advice I would say is to try to really, you know, tell yourself it is a bump in the road and you do have to stop and you do have to breathe. And then I think the second best advice I would say would be if you're sad and you're upset, you're allowed to be upset and you're allowed to be sad. Um, even for, for a caregiver like myself and someone that has grieved the loss of someone, that has been some of the best advice that I could get and not feeling guilty and not feeling bad that you know, something bad did happen and I'm allowed to be sad. Um, not to say that I am sad too long. <laughs> I, I pick myself up again and I continue on. And I think that's really, you know, really the other thing. And then the last thing I would say is don't forget to live your life. 
it's not a death sentence. You know, you have to go out and continue spending time with your children or with your friends or with your family um, because life is still going on. Um, I remember Dr. Marshall telling my mom that all the time. You need to go visit Michael. You need to travel to Europe. You need to do these things because it's important. It is. So, Michael, where can people learn more about Chris for Life? Sure. They just go to Chris for the number four life org. Great. And any upcoming events that you'd like the uh, listeners to be aware of? Yeah, ac- actually, Lee, we do have one. So we're a part of the Never Too Young for Colon, Colon Cancer Coalition. Um, and there's about 35 organizations across the country that are part of this uh, coalition. And the, the main purpose is to raise um, money and awareness for young onset colon cancer. And we're having a Young Survivors Week starting on June 15th and culminating on June 20th. And there's actually an event here in Washington, D.C. called the Fabulous Event never too young for colon cancer. Um, and that's on June 20th here in Washington, DC. So I'd encourage everybody to, to, you know, to learn more about, about that on our website, it's christopherlife.org backslash never too young, or you can go to coloncanceralliance.org backslash never too young to learn more as well. Great. Michael, thank you again for taking the time to speak with me today. I wish you and your t- entire team continued success And let's find a way to kick this disease in the butt. Thank you, Lee. I appreciate it very much. Thank you, Michael. Bye. Thanks for listening to today's episode of the Colon Cancer Podcast. Notes from this episode can be found on our website at thecoloncancerpodcast.com. You can subscribe to the podcast on our website, on iTunes, or on the Stitcher app for listeners using an Android device. If you or a loved one has a question about colon cancer, please visit the Colon Cancer Alliance website at www.ccalliance.org. Again, that's www.ccalliance.org. You can also email your questions to us at info at Thanks again for listening. Be well, everyone.